If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 608. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. This is B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. You can purchase one or 20 classes there. It keeps this podcast free of charge. I also have a great deal on my newest course, Copperheads. It expires today. So if you want to get $60 off, it is August 4th, 2022. You can go out there and use that coupon code Copperheads and get the coupon, right? But it's done today, August 4th, 2022. So if you're listening to it after August 4th, Sorry you missed the deal, but it is done. So go on out there and do that. Also, if you're watching this video on YouTube, click on that little super thanks button under the video. You can throw a few pennies my way. Click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw some money my way that way or go to anchor.fm. You can subscribe there. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Go to learn true, T-R-U-E, learntruehistory.com. It's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. I teach there with Tom. Lots of great ways to support the show financially. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Send me those show requests. I do like to see what you want to hear. All right, so let's talk about the topic of the day. This is a listener-generated episode. This link was sent to me, and I want to talk about it in the broader context of some things I've addressed in the last week or so. Now, if you don't know the news, I, I brought up uh, you know Glenn Youngkin and Ann McLean. Well, Ann McLean resigned from her... Uh, board appointment. And I think she did so because of all the political pressure. And I think probably, I, I don't know for 100%, but I think that Youngkin and the Youngkin administration probably put pressure on her to do it. Publicly, they supported her, but I think privately there was probably a push to, to get rid of her because they didn't want the PR nightmare. And this is the unfortunate part of cancel culture because you can't have diversity of thought anymore. We have to have a singular view of anything in America a singular view of what is acceptable thought. And if you go beyond that singular view, you can be canceled. Now, this only applies to certain parts of American thought. Number one is politics, anything doing with political theory, anything doing with, and and the other two is history, right? So you have to have the correct view of American history. If you don't have those things, and of course, having the correct view of American history often fuels into politics, you can be you know, canceled in society. And that is anti-liberal, right? It's, it's, it's not the idea of a full Republican discourse. You have to have opposition and you have to keep political speech and historical speech free. If you don't do those things, you have a society that is anti-Republican because at the end of the day, you're not really going to have a robust debate about different topics and the outcome of those. I was actually listening to another podcast uh, uh, the other day from a university. I'm not going to talk about where it was, but they were talking about a pretty sensitive topic in the 
And the uh, person that was leading the podcast made a point that in the last 40 years, a lot of these issues that have to do with history have become much more complex because we do have more information at our fingertips. There is more information online. There are more things you can do to try to uh, you know, access information, even primary documents. All of that stuff is better. I mean, the, the classes that I'm doing at McClanahan Academy right now are all based on primary documents. This is what I want you to get out of this. Primary documents are the key. And so arguments have become more complex, more, more uh, detailed, more in-depth. And I think that's important because if you are going to have real conversations about things, well, then you need to have that information. And Anne McLean said unacceptable things. Uh, and, I, and I've already talked about where I thought she was, she was uh, uh, perhaps a little incorrect on one area, but it doesn't matter. Right. And when she said, you know, slavery would end in five or 10 years, there's no there's no uh, evidence that would have happened. It could have taken longer. It could have been, you know, look, Lincoln was allowed was going to allow slavery to exist until 1921. If you look at how that proposed amendment would have been structured, you would have had compensated emancipation for uh, in a gradual emancipation, gradual abolition over 21 years uh, from 1900 forward. Right. So states could have kept slavery till 1900. So he was willing to let slavery exist until 1921. So how can anyone be, uh, you know, uh, sit here and say, well, the South would have allowed slavery to exist forever, or uh, and, and the Republicans would have done away with it? When we know that Lincoln would have allowed it to exist for a long period of time. I mean, when he proposed that amendment, it was 1862. You're talking about 60 more years, six decades of slavery in America had Lincoln gotten his way, who knows? I mean, what would have happened? Uh, would the South have abolished slavery on their own had they succeeded in the war? Um, I know that there were certainly, uh, you know, efforts being made to do that at the end of the war, right? I mean, this was something that was being discussed. The the Kenner mission to, uh, to Europe, uh, Jefferson Davis promised to abolish slavery if these if these European states would just recognize the Confederacy and break the, break the blockade and come in on their behalf. I mean, these are things that were important. So there's a lot in this. But again, she loses her job, or at least resigns from this job, because of cancel culture. And uh, if the, the most important thing we can protect is political speech and historical speech. That's what the First Amendment is designed to do. It's not about, you know, oftentimes saying, well, you can't say fire in a movie theater and these kind of things. Well, Political speech is why that is there. Political speech. And it's amazing, you know, if you look at the uh, Civil Rights Act and all the different protected forms of speech, political speech is not on their list. And it is the most important speech that needs protection because it is the one that people will be most willing to cancel you for nowadays. I mean, pol politics has become a religion. And, you know, Lincoln was on to this in 1838 in that Lyceum Address. Again, get that at reading Abraham Lincoln at McClanahan Academy. He was saying this. We need to have a, a secular religion, and it has to be politics, and our documents have to be the Constitution and the Declaration. These are things that we have to worship like the Bible. And so if you do that, well, then you get to a point where if you say anything that's heretical, which the real thing, there was actually an op-ed I read from some dope in, in Richmond, that the real problem was that she, uh, the comparison she made between Vladimir Putin and Abraham Lincoln, because you cannot, you cannot say negative things about Abraham Lincoln. You can't even hint that Abraham Lincoln was somehow a tyrant, because that is, 
That is the greatest sin that you can say in America now. Uh, castigating Abraham Lincoln, saying he's a bad guy, saying he's a tyrant or a despot. These are things that are it's unholy to do this right in America. So that was her gravest sin, according to this, this uh, editorial writer that, that I'm speaking about. So she loses her job. And I want to I want to spin to a different direction with a different piece, but it has the same kind of ending. And it's at the American Conservative. And this was sent by a listener, and it's by Bill Kaufman. If you don't know Bill Kaufman, Bill Kaufman has written some really wonderful books. In fact, just going back to that Copperheads class that I have, he wrote the screenplay for that, for the film Copperheads, um, which is uh, you know just fantastic. If you haven't seen that film Copperheads, uh, you need to see it. Um, it's by Ron Waxwell, who also you know, produced Gods and Generals. Uh, but I mean, this is a really good film. And Bill Kaufman is from New York. And he would, I mean, he is someone that is certainly a dissident voice. Now, he's more of a libertarian than anything else, but he's he's really interested in the old anti-war movement of the right. Uh, he wrote a really good book on Luther Martin uh, by ISI's Drunken uh, Prophet, I think is the title of the book. It's it's really good. Ain't My America, which is about you know anti-war and anti-imperialism in American history. Um, this is, he's, he's a really funny writer and someone that you should be reading, right? He's, uh, he's good. And um, he wrote a, several, uh, several books on, you know, America First and uh, anti-progressive books. I mean, these are, these are fun little books. But he wrote this piece at the American Conservative, and the title is Southern Exposure. Now, <laughs> that's a funny play on a old television show, Northern Exposure. Uh, but Southern Exposure, it's... It's good, right? So I want to read this. It's a short little piece, but the end of the piece is really good. And um, I I think it's something worthwhile. And again, this is in the American Conservative. He says, Prepping for a return visit to the attractive and prospering city of Greenville, South Carolina, I grabbed the only South Carolina travel book in our library system, an entry in the Moon series. It reassured northern visitors that Greenville, quote, is not populated by backward Bible-thumping bigots. This is, end quote, this is in a book, a travel book about Greenville, South Carolina. Now think about that. People in New York, now he's, he's in New York. This is where he's coming from. He's going to go down to Greenville, South Carolina. It's a wonderful city, by the way, wonderful place. Upcountry South Carolina is beautiful. In the fall, it's really pretty. Of course, in that area, you have Calhoun's home, Fort Hill. You've got Clemson University where that's located. There's a lot of neat stuff up there. And the travel book is trying to reassure people that the people in South Carolina are not backwards. They're not Bible-thumping bigots. Now, the next line is great. And smug cosmopolitans wonder why the rest of us hate their guts. Because of this, right? I mean, this is, oh, well, I don't know if I want to go there. There's Bible-thumping bigots in Greenville, South Carolina. Greenville, whose favorite sons are the Jacksons, Shoeless Joe, and Jesse was the site of the last concert Leonard Skinner, the Freebirds of Southern Rock, played before the band's plane went down on October 20th, 1977. One of Skinner's better songs, All I Can Do Is Write About It, protests the paving over and homogenization of the South. Lead singer Ronnie Van Zant pleads, Lord, take me in mind before that comes. The Lord or a drunken pilot or defective plane did as Ronnie wished, but paver's gonna pave. I mean, this is good. Uh, yeah, so I mean, this is a nice little aside here on Southern Rock and that part of that, that great Skinner song. I do agree, it's it's a, just a wonderful song. But here again, here's a North Carolina, uh, I'm sorry, a New York, um, a New Yorker loving Leonard Skinner. 
Why? Because, I mean, Skinner, there's an agrarian side of Skinner that he relates to. And, uh, you know, Kaufman is, uh, is uh, a New Yorker, uh, but he's also an agrarian, I think, in many ways at heart. And, and uh, you know, someone, even though he's, he would be called a libertarian, but someone who would, uh, I think, certainly be, you know, in, in line with the old right, uh, the, the old post, uh, old pre-World War II old right. Prominently absent from the Moon Guide as well as the maps distributed by the city's tourism promoters was any mention of the Museum and Library of Confederate History, which is the kind of philopiistic throwback that makes New South boosters cringe. Chamber of Commerce be damned. I dropped by the museum, which is operated by the Sons of Confederate Veterans, and tucked away in a modest flag-festooned house, though I didn't see Old Glory, in the Pettigrew Historic District. Upon entry, I was greeted by a man whose accent was redolent of the days before the Greenville region became the North American headquarters of BMW and Michelin. I'm Larry Waddell, he said, extending his hand. I shook it. Bill Kaufman, you from around here? No, I'm from New York, I hastily added, towards Buffalo Way. Buffalo, he said with a vague look of distaste, as if I said, I'm a Unitarian poet from Boston. Another damn Yankee. You'll need a green card. And he handed me a green card, which was bannered Confederate States of America Immigration and Naturalization Service. The bearer of this card, it went on, is a citizen of the northern United States and has been granted the privilege of living within the Confederacy. Privilege has been granted by virtue of marriage to a southerner, adoption, or by exhibiting a willingness to forego inbred damn Yankee-ness. Reverting, reverting back to, to the damn Yankee way of life will automatically result in the voiding of this card and immediate deportation across the Potomac. And this is great. I mean, again, if you've ever been to, uh, to parts of, of the South where people still do this kind of stuff, it's hilarious. Right, but I love it that uh, Waddell gave this to, to Bill Kaufman. Now he says, since I'm a Yorker and not a Yankee, I avoided expulsion. And this is an important distinction to make. I've talked about uh, you know how there's there's Northerners and Yankees, and Yankees are a peculiar type of American. And I, I did a whole podcast on this. What is a Yankee? And, and Bill Kaufman's not a Yankee. He's a New Yorker. He's a Northerner, and he's a Copperhead. I mean, there's a lot of these people out there, and a lot of these people listen to this show. And when so I, when I start bashing Yankees. They think that I'm bashing them, and it's simply not true. I'm bashing a particular type of American. You can find Yankees, by the way, anywhere. You can find them in the South. You can find them in the West. They're, they're everywhere, and we call them now Karens, um, but this is what a Yankee is, right? It's a meddling, unhappy, uh, you know, kind of uh, political Puritan who wants to make sure that nobody is having a good time anywhere and is going to do all they can to ensure that their way of life, their cultural imperialism is, is foisted on everyone else. And uh, it's a, they're, they're greedy, uh, they have no manners. I mean, this is, this, is, this is a Yankee, right? And if you want to have a great caricature of a Yankee, an upwardly mobile Yankee, go read The uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow and look at how, the original version, right? With the, look at how Washington Irving describes Ichabod Crane. That is your quintessential Yankee. And of course, Washington Irving lived in New York, and he hated Yankees. And so uh, go read that story again. Go read that short story. It's really good. I mean, Washington Irving was a, was a genius in developing characters. And Ichabod Crane is well-developed and a well-developed Yankee. The Confederate Museum, which Mr. Wildell says receives no support from the city, is item-rich, with captions that make no pretense of objectivity. The Palmetto State was the first to secede from the Union, and there are no regrets, no apologies, and no allowances on, of, on the other hand, in this CSA readout of Boyce Avenue. So, I, I, again, I love these museums. There's another one. One of the best, if you ever get to Charleston, is the Confederate Museum in Charleston. Uh, it's right on Market Street. It's great. 
and I'm sure that City's going to try to cancel it at some point. There's, you know, there's been some whispers about this, but I mean, this place is amazing, and all these little, you know, independent Confederate museums. Uh, and this one, of course, run by the SCV. These are these are really interesting. The SCV is building a, a mega museum in Tennessee, uh, which is going to be a, a go-to destination once it's done. But um, you you've got to you've got to go to these little museums that are uh, you know tucked away. These little SCV museums because they're well worth your time. He says, I saw rifles and revolvers, swords and sovereignty flags, amputation instruments, including a saw embedded in bone and wooden legs, Confederate money, and enough images of Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis to make an Oberlin sophomore hyperventilate. Great. Great line. To make an Oberlin sophomore hyperventilate. The photographs of various Johnny Rebs and generals from South Carolina included one of General States Rights Guest, born in 1831 in, ironically, Union, South Carolina. States Rights Guest had a father who admired John C. Calhoun, who at the time was locked in a fight with Andrew Jackson over, well, states' rights. States' rights, uppercase, died in 1864, shot through the heart at the Battle of Franklin, Tennessee. A great Confederate general and heroically died at Franklin. Um, you know, that, that whole period of time right there in 1864, the slaughter of Confederates. I mean, it really was a slaughter in some of these battles right there in Tennessee. It's just making you cry in what was going on. I mean, futile charges, I mean, people just getting blown apart, uh, horrible. Uh, horrible, horrible situation. Pictures of black Confederates and their descendants also line the walls with descriptive texts emphasizing their Southern patriotism. The museum frames the war as a sectional conflict in which the matter of slavery was secondary. I've never bought that line, but how far we have fallen in those who offer alternative interpretations of what Gorbidow called, quote, the great single tragic event that continues to give residents to our old republic are ostracized. An important point. How far we've fallen when the people that give an alternative explanation are ostracized. You can't even have an opinion, hence Anne McLean, that would be contrary to the accepted 3 by 5 index card of allowable opinion. This is dangerous in a free society. If you can't have alternative opinions, and of course Bill Kaufman would have alternative opinions. I mean, when it comes to anti-war, when it comes to anti-imperialism, when it comes to things like the interstate system, Bill Kaufman would have these alternate opinions uh, based on historical evidence. I mean, look, the Copperheads alone, the Peace Democrats, the Copperheads, these people offer an alternative vision of Abraham Lincoln. And you cannot say in polite society that maybe they were right. Maybe Lincoln was a pretty bad guy. Maybe the Republicans weren't great. I mean, when you have Hiram Rhodes Revels in, in the Reconstruction period writing a letter saying that the Republican Party is only using black Americans as pawns. They're not real Republicans. They don't have any... I mean, this is, this is alternative history now. You can't say these things anymore. You can't say the Republican Party were a bunch of corrupt reptiles that didn't have the best interests of black Americans and, of course, abused the South and did all kinds of horrible things. You can't say these things now because Abraham Lincoln has his temple, the Parthenon, in Washington, D.C., and if you compare any kind of modern tyrant to Abraham Lincoln, well, my gosh, you have to be canceled. This is ridiculous. But this is exactly what Bill Kaufman, Kaufman is saying in this particular paragraph. You're ostracized or you're canceled. He says, My strongest sympathies lie with the Christian anarcho-abolitionists, many from my neck of the woods, who sought to dissolve the South's peculiar institution by moral suasion in the 1830s and later by defying the Fugitive Slave Act with personal liberty laws. They were doing the Lord's work. But even compensated emancipation, paying slave owners to free their human chattel, 
would have been preferable to the four-year slaughterhouse that left 700,000 boys and men dead, millions bereft, the lower half of the country prostrate and impoverished, and the newly freed slaves largely propertyless. Again, that is unacceptable opinion now. What Bill Kaufman just said there could get him canceled. You can't say that. You can't say that <clears throat> there would have been a preferable method to end slavery in America besides a war. That's, that's not acceptable thought. Even Abraham Lincoln thought this. At least during the war itself, he made said things. Well, maybe we should do this or that. Of course, he was willing to prosecute the war to destroy the South and, and do all he could. I mean, this is, <clears throat> even if you read, you know, Victor Davis Hanson. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson, in, in terms of his military history, I mean, he's, he believes that Lincoln selected Grant and Sherman because they fought the war the way that he wanted to fight the war, which was total war. I mean, this is, this is essentially his point. And, uh, I mean, I don't think you can argue with him. This is Lincoln's, I mean, Lincoln really was vindictive when it came to fighting the war. And, of course, Montgomery Meigs and what he did at Arlington, I talked about that. I mean, this is very important. Now, this last line, though, <clears throat> is where I'll get to Anne McLean and what's going on in canceling people. He said, Eugene Genovese, the great Marxist historian of slavery in the South, said that no one should be asked to spit on the graves of his ancestors. No one should be asked to spit on the graves of his ancestors. And exact, that's exactly what's happening across America right now. Anne McLean, who was not spitting on the graves of her ancestors, who was proudly uh, saying that these people were great Americans, she's being asked to do something else. And that's what everyone who has Confederate ancestors is being asked to do from people like you know Kevin Levin and all these morons out there running around, uh, you know, the, the great uh, now accused plagiarist uh, Kevin Cruz and all these people. I mean, this is what they're this is what they're asking Southerners who are descendants of Confederate veterans to do. They're asking them to do this, to spit on the graves of their ancestors. And they're asking America to spit on the history of the South. This is what they're this is what they're insisting that America do. Not just, I mean, this is neoconservatives. This is the this is the Michael Antons and the Larry Arns and all these people. They're doing the same thing because, you know, Confederacy is bad. John C. Calhoun is bad. He's a terrible person. You got to spit on these people, right? Forget the fact that John F. Kennedy called Calhoun one of the greatest senators in the history of the United States. Forget the fact that Calhoun was recognized as this both by the right and the left for a long period of time because they could have differences of opinion with what Calhoun said, but they never. They never refuted his greatness. And the same thing with Robert E. Lee. And uh, there was an email correspondence I was back and forth with, and one, one uh, individual conservative said, you know, I was taught in the 1950s in a northern state that um, it was okay uh, to, to admire Lee in the 1950s in, in this northern state, in New England state, by the way. It was okay to admire Lee. Uh, but now that's, I mean, you can't even get that in the South. I was, uh, this, uh, I was listening to a, a student who's from this part of South Carolina. Uh, you can't even tell he's from that part of South Carolina. His accent is, sounds like he's from, you know, Chicago or something. I mean, this is, he's, but he's born and bred in South Carolina. And, uh, I mean, just essentially spitting on his ancestors the entire time and, and, and parroting idiotic leftist talking points about the South. And here's a person that's from the South, from South Carolina, might even have Confederate ancestors. I don't know. Maybe their family, maybe his family moved there. I have no idea. But um, this is this is the important thing to get out of this. 
that this is what Southerners are being asked to do, and it's evil. It is actually evil to make people do that. Genovese recognized this, and he was a Marxist historian. He loved the South, though. Uh, he, he thought the South was, a, was an interesting place, a real cultural jewel. Um, even if he didn't agree, and he didn't, with things in Southern history. And of course, most Southerners don't nowadays. I would say probably 99.9% of Southerners don't agree with, uh, with uh, what the antebellum South was about in terms of its labor institutions. But that doesn't mean you can't call John C. Calhoun great or other Southern leaders great who uh, had other things to say about American society. His last line is, the old boys manning the Confederate Museum in Greenville sure don't. They don't spit on their ancestors. And I think that's something that anyone, I mean, I don't care who your ancestors are. You shouldn't spit on them. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're the boys in blue. And, uh, you know, they're, this is your ancestors. Don't spit on those people. I mean, this, these are people making decisions. You don't want your descendants spitting on you because of things you believed and things you said and things you did. And uh, that's, that's an important, again, takeaway from this by Bill Kaufman. And he's such a good writer. I, it's just a little short piece, but... Uh, this was sent to me. Uh, I do enjoy getting these little nuggets from, from people. Hey, would you go over this? And Again, it relates back to Anne McLean because uh, moving forward, this is where we are in America. You cannot have unacceptable opinions. And having an unacceptable opinion about Abraham Lincoln can get you canceled. Having an unacceptable opinion about Robert E. Lee. I mean, in 2012, I wrote Politically Incorrect Guide to Real American Heroes, and it has Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee in it, two great American heroes I tried to include Abraham Lincoln in there as an anti-hero, and uh, the publisher knocked that down. They said I, I couldn't do that at that point. But now that same publisher has written a couple, uh, published a couple of uh, anti-Lincoln books. I mean, even Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America had Lincoln in there, and they re they recognize that there's people out there that have a differing opinion of Lincoln, conservatives, and they tried to capitalize on that. They just published a book, and the problem with Lincoln by Tom DiLorenzo. So, uh, the, in 2012, they weren't ready yet for that. They weren't ready. Uh, but they're ready now. And I think that, that, that that's a healthy discussion to have. Who are, and, and again, the left could say, well, it's a healthy discussion to have about Lee and Stonewall Jackson. All right, let's have that discussion. But let's have a real discussion about it, not based on fantasy. And that's exactly what the, the left is, is basing this on, is fantasy. Uh, because, I mean, even, even the accusations made against Lee, for example, where he poured, had brine poured in the wounds of slaves are being whipped, there's no proof of this. No proof whatsoever, and even uh, prior, where this is really made part of it, admits it in her book. Well, there's really no proof of this. Yeah, there, there isn't. Uh, you know, Douglas Southall Freeman addresses, and Douglas Southall Freeman is supposed to be this guy that you know nobody can get anything out of anymore. But he addressed everything in the prior book long before Pryor wrote it. Her entire point of the book was to refute Douglas Southall Freeman, and she didn't really do it, which is the funniest part of it all. All right, so. Remember, get that Copperheads class, get that coupon. Uh, it's, it's done today, August 4th, 2022. I'll see you next week on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.